Hello and welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. We appreciate you joining us through this podcast. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for joining us and enjoy the message. Lots happened in 12 months. We had our first service on May 20th, so that's actually tomorrow, I believe, uh, a year ago. And, and Rose and I, we were like, okay, we think God's calling us to do this. We don't know if anyone will come. And uh, so we thought if nobody came, we'd be done. We tried, you know, but y'all came and you keep coming. So thank you for being here. Um, it's exciting. So my name is Clint, Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, in honor of our one-year anniversary, uh, your one-year anniversary is actually your paper anniversary is what they say. So we have bookmarks for everyone. Ushers, you guys can bring those up. So um, this is for your Bible. It says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Matthew 5, 14. And then on the back, we have the, the listing of all the books in the Bible. And there are two different colors. So everybody gets one, though. There's blue and brown, I guess. Um, you guys can trade them up later if you want. <laughs> but, uh, but thanks for being part of this. And my, my hope is that you do put this in your Bible and you use that as a bookmark to uh, read your Bible each and every day. And if you don't have a Bible, just stop by the Welcome Center, and we'll be glad to hand a Bible to you. So make sure you get one of those. All right, so we are, as they're finishing to hand that out, we are in a series called Tough Topics, Living at Peace Without Compromising Scripture. And our key verse for this message series has been Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So we're going through these difficult topics to navigate, and we recognize that it's, it's difficult sometimes to find peace on these topics. But this, this verse is really encouraging because it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. It doesn't just say live at peace because I think it would be really difficult to live at peace sometimes. Um, without compromising scripture, but that's what God's calling us to do is to try to live at peace. So far in our series, we kicked it off with living at peace. And we talked about that. We talked about abortion two weeks ago. And then last week we talked about women and leadership specifically in the church. And then to finish out our series over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about immigration next week. We're going to try to answer the question, would Jesus build the wall, right? Don't we want to know that one? Um, and we're going to talk about the place of nudity and modesty within our culture today. On June 9th, we're going to talk about politics and try to answer the question, is Jesus a Democrat or a Republican? Some of you already know that answer in your minds, right? So you should come. If you think you know that answer, you should definitely come. And there's room for even moderates to come to that message. All right. And then uh, on June 16th, on Father's Day, we're going to discuss the role of men in society, and I'm really looking forward to that. So if you have any men in your life, I would encourage you, invite them to come to that service. We're also going to be celebrating men on Father's Day, so we'll have uh, root beers, and I don't know what all we're going to do. Like, it'll be nice. So if you're a guy, you want to be here for that, for sure. But today, today is a difficult topic, probably our most controversial topic, and I don't see any children in here, but... If you have a small child in the service today, maybe one where you want to take them out and put them in children's ministry. But our topic today is same-sex marriage. All right, same-sex marriage. It's definitely a hot topic in our culture today. 
Now, homosexuality is not a new topic. It's been around for thousands of years. In fact, the very first place that it's mentioned in the Bible is in the book of Genesis. So in the book of Genesis, which is the very first book in the Bible, there's a story of two angels going into the city of Sodom. They're going there to see firsthand how corrupt and evil that town has become. So they're waiting for someone to take them into their home in the the city courts or in the central area of the city. And Abraham's nephew Lot sees them and says, hey, you guys need to come with me and not stay out here in the, in the park area. You're going to get in trouble. So he took the two angels into his home. He fed them, got them ready for bed. And then in Genesis chapter 19, verse 4, it says, Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Now, these are angels, so the angels actually just go out and blind all the men, and they tell Lot and his family, said, you need to get out of this town because we're going to destroy it. So Lot and his family leave the town, and the angels actually burn up the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, that's in the Old Testament. But during the times that the New Testament was written, homosexuality was prevalent during that time, especially in the Roman culture as well. The emperor Nero was a leader in Rome, and Nero was probably the one who ordered the execution of Paul. And it was stated and and well-known during that time that his third wife was actually a young man named Sporus. So homosexuality isn't a new thing. But today, homosexuality has risen in media attention and popularity. And it's really only been in the last couple of decades. The first lesbian kiss on TV was 28 years ago in 1991 during an episode of L.A. Law. And then in the year 2000, just 19 years ago, was the first male homosexual kiss on an episode of Dawson's Creek. And that was, that was really only 19 years ago. But today, today, you can't hardly watch a TV series or a movie that doesn't have a homosexual couple or at least a homosexual you know, character within the show. I asked a uh, millennial couple, I said, so what do you think the percentage is of people in America that are either gay or lesbian? And so they, they looked at each other, talked a little bit, and they said, maybe between 30 and 40%. You know, it kind of feels like that. And it would be true because if you look at um, TV series like Modern Family, you know, there's There's three couples, and one of the couples is a gay couple. And so it seems like one out of three, that's kind of what culture and media is telling you, is that really one out of three is gay or lesbian. And that's actually not the case. The homosexual population in America today is between three and a half and four percent. So only three and a half to four percent. But it's getting, what, like 60 to 70 percent of the media attention, you know? It's just interesting the way that works. Now, this percentage does begin to increase with each upcoming generation. So the millennial generation, it's closer to 7%. And Generation Z, they're, they're predicting that it will probably be even higher than that. When I was growing up, if anyone acted like they were gay or actually were gay, then that was frowned upon. But today, it's very different. In the public school system, it can be seen as kind of cool or modern if you are gay or lesbian or bisexual. 
Most public school students today, if you're in a public school or you have a student in public school, they probably know of one or more fellow students who would profess to be gay or lesbian. The prevalence of same-sex attraction, which we're going to use that term today, has certainly grown quite a bit over the last two decades. So let's talk about same-sex marriage. We'll talk about that for a little bit. And how the sentiment has changed quite a bit over the last couple of decades. In 1998, 31 to 41 states had already passed a law, passed amendments to their state constitutions banning same-sex marriage. Okay, that was in 1998. And then between 1998 and 2015, several states then began to start legalizing same-sex marriage. In 2008, when President Obama was elected, he was asked about same-sex marriage. And he, at that time, was against same-sex marriage in 2008. But by 2012, soon after he was elected as president for a second term, he was now approving of same-sex marriage. And I thought that was really interesting, that the popular opinion in 2008, which I'm pretty sure Pop, uh, President Obama was either setting the popular opinion or going with, was against same-sex marriage. But by 2012, that opinion had shifted dramatically, just in four years. And then in June of 2015, the Supreme Court had a ruling that overruled all of the state constitutions against same-sex marriage and made it legal in all 50 states for same-sex marriage. And since then, since 2015, there have been dozens of countries around the world that have legalized same-sex marriage. And I believe it's as a result of, I mean, I think that the United States led in a lot of that. I mean, we are a leader around the world, and I think we led. We set a precedent for it to happen around the world. Now, talking about same-sex marriage in our culture, like I said, when I was growing up, it wasn't very popular. And even in just the last couple of decades, that has shifted quite a bit. But what is happening now is that if you are against same-sex marriage, now that has become very, very unpopular. You can, be a you can be boycotted or even attacked. The owners of Chick-fil-A have been stated in interviews that they are for the traditional definition of marriage between a man and a woman. They're Christians. And because of that, Chick-fil-A has been boycotted, has been um, persecuted as a result. In March, just this past year, Chick-fil-A was banned from putting a new restaurant in the Buffalo Niagara Airport. And here's what Assemblyman Sean Ryan said on Twitter. I don't believe the leadership of the NFTA intends to help spread hate and discrimination. But allowing a corporation like Chick-fil-A to do business at the Buffalo Niagara International Airport will help to fund continued divisive anti-LGBTQ rhetoric. New York is a welcoming state that celebrates diversity. So the culture has definitely shifted quite a bit. And it would seem now that if you don't approve of same-sex marriage, then you can be labeled as divisive and even hateful. But let's bring it home to church, okay? Marriage is typically done in a church, right? So I think this is a big issue in the church today. There's been a really big push for churches to accept and start performing same-sex marriages or same-sex weddings. Several churches have already approved of this. I did a quick search 
on the, the churches in Indiana who have been labeled as approving of same-sex marriage. And it was uh, over 100 churches were listed. But what was interesting to me was the denominations of these churches. What was listed was Mennonite churches, Methodist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Episcopal, Catholic, Apostolic, Brethren, non-denominational, and the list goes on and on. Several, several different churches are changing their way, their stance, on same-sex marriage. There are actually several churches in Goshen, South Bend, and even Elkhart. The Methodist denomination had a vote on this last month, and they're trying to set the, the, the ruling across all Methodist churches as to whether or not they can perform same-sex marriages. And it actually didn't pass, which was interesting, because the reason it didn't pass was because of the Methodist churches in Africa voted overwhelmingly against same-sex marriage, same-sex weddings, but the churches in the United States voted for it. But there were just more, I guess, more churches in Africa. So there's a big discussion about separating denominations and pulling away and so on. And this has also been a huge conversation in the Mennonite church, Mennonite denomination as well. So this is a big topic in our culture today. Many people, many churches are changing their stance based on our shifting culture. But what does the Bible say? Regardless of our culture, we need to stay true to what scripture says. Otherwise, our morality will be dictated by what is popular today on TV or YouTube. So today we're going to look at a few scriptures that pertain to the subject. We will also share what the Vineyard Association of Churches has said about this topic. And then we'll talk about how do we get along with people who disagree with us. So the message title is simply Same-Sex Marriage and the Church. And if you would, pray with me as I pray for the message. So God, we come to you right now and we thank you for your word that is true and steadfast. And that can be our moral compass. Because without it, God, we would, just, we would just not know. We would have no idea what is right and wrong. So, Father, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for sending your son who set a precedent of what it means to be a loving, compassionate Savior. So, Lord, I pray that you would guide us today as we listen to these scriptures. And uh, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Give me your words, and we invite your Holy Spirit to do ministry, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so you can fill this in on your handout if you would like. I have a couple of uh, points for you. The first one is there are two scriptural truths regarding same-sex marriage. The first one is all sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage is sinful. All sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage is sinful. A couple of scriptures. And I'll be going through a lot of scriptures today. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 says, Or do you not know what, that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So I want to look at a couple of those words. The first one is adulterer. 
So just, just so we know, the definition of an adulterer is anyone who is married and has sex with someone who is not their spouse. Or it can also be someone who is not married, who is having sex with someone who is married. Okay, that's an adulterer. But then let's look at the word sexually immoral. It was used in both of these scriptures. Sexually immoral, the, the Greek word for that is pornos, which means fornicator or whoremonger. So here's the definitions of that. A man who prostitutes his body to another's lust for hire. A male prostitute. A man who indulges in sinful, or I'm sorry, unlawful sexual intercourse, a fornicator. So I looked up the word fornicator, and it says that it is an unmarried person who engages in sexual intercourse, especially when considered to be of an illicit or illegal nature. So simply put, sexually immoral, uh, immoral activity is any sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage. Here's a couple more scriptures. 1 Timothy 1 8 through 11 says, We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. So in this section, in this section of scripture, for this sexually section of scripture, there's a lot of sex in this message. I apologize now. There's a lot, but I looked up the word for practicing homosexuality. And the Greek word is, you say it's something like arsenic koites, which means a sodomite, a male engaging in same-gender sexual activity. And I thought that was interesting because a sodomite, that actually comes from Sodom, which we talked about Sodom and Gomorrah, which is kind of interesting. So in that scripture, they're talking specifically about practicing homosexuality. And here's another one uh, in Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. And because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. So this scripture is pretty clear. It indicates that homosexuality is not part of God's original design. There are actually several more scriptures about sexual immorality and homosexuality, but we're not going to read all of those today. But I think we can all agree that any sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage is sinful. So let's take a look, because we're talking about same-sex marriage today. So let's talk about this. What is the Bible's definition of marriage? The biblical definition of marriage is between a man and a woman. All right, between a man and a woman. Simple scripture in Matthew, Jesus was speaking. He says, haven't you read? He replied that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. 
Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Throughout scripture, if you read all marriage is talked about, every example is between a man and a woman. When they're talking about a husband, they're talking about a man. When they're talking about a wife, they're talking about a female. So all throughout scripture, the reference for marriage is always between a man and a woman. Now, I believe that there has been a lot of pressure on the church to accept this, to do uh, same-sex marriages, because sex outside of a marriage is seen as sinful. But the Bible is pretty clear. It's not just about the wedding ceremony. It's about the relationship. There's an example in the, the book of Corinthians where Paul is addressing a situation where somebody probably got married. It doesn't say it specifically, but it's most likely indicated that they got married, but it was actually a sinful situation. So the wedding itself didn't fix the problem. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 2 says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you have rather gone into mourning? So in this situation, most Bible scholars believe that this young man's father probably died and he ended up marrying his stepmom. And the church was fully accepting of this situation. And Paul's like, no, this is not appropriate. This is not an appropriate situation. Even though they were probably married, it still didn't fix the problem. In 2014, the Vineyard Association of Churches put out a 90-page position paper on same-sex marriage called Pastoring LGBT Persons. And if you're interested in reading the full 90-page uh, report, send me an email. I'll forward it to you. But today, we're going to read all 90 pages. Okay? So, no, we're not. We're not going to do that. Sorry. But, but I will tell you, uh, Phil Strout put out an email, or actually a letter, in 2016. Phil Strout is the president of the Vineyard Association. And he uh, wrote a letter to all of the Vineyard pastors, and he summarized, basically, the position of the Vineyard Association of Churches. And what I want to do is I want to take some time and actually read. There's about six paragraphs here, I believe. Then I want to read this through, because Phil does an excellent job of laying out the Vineyard's position on same-sex marriage. One of the most common questions I get asked in gathering after gathering is how the vineyard will address the many questions surrounding the issue of homosexuality. What is our stance on gay marriage? Can a vineyard church ordain gay clergy? Can gay people lead in our churches? Because of the level of cultural intensity surrounding this subject, there's often quite a bit of emotion and anxiety related to these issues. The vineyard is a movement of compassion and a movement committed to the scriptures. We're a movement of radical welcome and radical discipleship. We will always want to live in these tensions, doing our best to find the radical middle. While there are no simple answers, the executive team has agreed on four central points that anchor our response to these questions. Each could be expanded significantly, but for the sake of brevity, I've included a paragraph on each as follows. So there's four paragraphs here. First, we must be committed to both mission and holiness. The message of the kingdom is a message of welcome. Anyone can come to the feast. Jesus himself was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. And at the same time, the message of the kingdom is repent, believe, and follow Jesus in every area of life. At times, it can feel as if these two principles are mutually exclusive, but we are convinced that they are not. 
It is possible to offer the radical welcome of Jesus while calling people to high standards of discipleship. Second, the Bible promotes, celebrates, and affirms marriage as a covenantal union between a man and a woman. Marriage is not the highest purpose of humanity. The Apostle Paul himself was single, as was Jesus. At the same time, it must be honored as a sign and gift from God. Third, we believe that all humans are to be treated with kindness and compassion. As the image bearers of God on earth, we are all sinful. And it is profoundly unbiblical to pick out one sin that, stigmatized, that is stigmatized above others. In the history of the church, homosexual persons experience such sinful stigmatization. We repent and renounce this sort of sinful treatment. And fourth, we believe that outside of the boundaries of marriage, the Bible calls for abstinence. We know that in our culture, premarital sex, along with many other forms of non-marital sex, have become normative. We want to lovingly help people of any sexual orientation to live up to this standard. We recognize that it can be a difficult journey and there must be grace along the way. The powerful, beautiful gift of human sexuality must be stewarded with seriousness and compassion within our movement. And recently, Phil Strout was asked, so when are we going to revisit this, the stance with the Vineyard Movement? And Phil said, as long as I'm the president, we're not going to revisit this. We, we went through it. We decided this is where the Vineyard Movement is and where it's planning on staying, at least for the next five years, because Phil is the president for the next five years. He does a 10-year term. And we here at Lighthouse, we agree with this um, position, and we also submit to it. So there are three ways, though, that I think we need to take a look at how we can handle this cultural shift. First of all, we need to lead with love, okay? This was in our, our first message on trying to find peace, but we have to lead with love. Okay? Hate isn't going to work in this situation. Hate never works, right? They said that we will, they will know we are Christians by our what? By our love, not by what we disagree with. It's by who we love. It's how we love. So we need to lead with love. That's first and foremost. Secondly, we need to be able to show compassion and understanding. Compassion and understanding. To be sure, there are people who choose the gay lifestyle. To be sure. But in our society today, we are seeing more and more people who just find themselves attracted to the same sex. It's not a decision that they made. It's just where they're at. And you can talk to many different uh, psychologists and physicians to try to get an understanding of why that is. Um, we're not going to talk about that. But just the reality is that there are people who are attracted, attracted to the same sex. I, have, I am not. I have not ever been there. But that doesn't mean that I shouldn't still show compassion and understanding to those who do. In fact, this weekend, I'm guessing that between the two services, there are more than one person who has either been attracted to the same sex or been in a, a gay lesbian relationship or is attracted to the same sex within our church body. But in the church today, we don't talk about it. And you know, the church can be a very lonely place if you're dealing with something that you don't think anybody else deals with. I would love it if our church became a church that was able to talk about this issue specifically, along with other issues. 
Because we're all sinners, guys. We all have our things. We all have things that we're struggling with. And let's just be real. You know, I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. And so you'll hear from me the mistakes that I'm making on a daily basis, right, Rose? <laughs> Pretty much. Um, but the same is true for all of you. Guys, we're, we're not perfect. So let's not judge people because they struggle with something that we don't struggle with. And then the third thing is we need to honor singleness. We need to honor singleness. Because we're saying that if you struggle with same-sex attraction, we're not going to do a wedding for you with someone of the same sex. So your choice is to stay single in all of this. And if anyone's single in here, you, you know it can be difficult to be single in the church. I was single for five or six years. And you know what? The church wasn't the most accepting person for me or place for me. It just wasn't. I came to church by myself. I sat by myself. I went out to eat afterwards by myself. And I went home by myself. So if we're going to call people and say, for the sake of purity, remain single, remain celibate, then we need to have a church that is open and loving and has a place and honors singleness. So how do we do that? Well, one thing, invite them to to sit with you at church. Invite them to go to lunch with you after church. If someone is choosing to remain single to honor God, then they are giving up the opportunity to have a family. So those of us that do have families, let's include the single people in our church into our families. They don't have to miss out. Invite them to family meals. I mean, invite them to come watch your kid play soccer. And the things that you would do for people that are part of your family. But we need to honor singleness. The Apostle Paul actually honors singleness. He was single. And uh, I wanted to read this scripture for those of you that are single. He says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Apostle Paul was was single and he was able to do a lot. And I think we just need to do the same. We need to be honoring of the singles among us and include them into our families. So honor singleness. Now I know in closing, I didn't answer all of the questions. Can't do that in 30 minutes from the stage here. Some questions are really difficult to answer. But if you do have more questions, I'm making myself available this week. Give me a call. Send me an email. We'll do a phone call. We'll meet face to face. But I'll try to address whatever situations or issues that you would like to talk about. But I am convicted by scripture that God does not accept any sexual activity outside of the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. But I'm also convicted by scripture to show love 
and to pray for any person who struggles with any situation, including same-sex attraction. And I would love to be the kind of church where you would feel comfortable inviting your gay friends to. I would like to be that kind of church where they would not feel like they're not welcome just because of where they're at in life. So let's all be the church that compassionately shows love to all types of people, regardless of their color, their age, their sex, or their sexual orientation. Let's all stand for closing prayer. By the way, we do have a prayer team that is willing to pray with you about any situation going on in your life. Just come up and sit in the front after service, and they would be more than willing to pray with you. But let me pray. Let's just pray for all of us here, okay? So, Father, we come to you, and I pray, God, that we would be the kind of church that doesn't throw out judgment, but throws out compassion and love and understanding. I think it's easy to judge someone who struggles with one thing when we don't struggle with it. But it's not as easy if we're the one that's struggling. Father, your word says that there is no temptation that has seized us except what is common to man. So Lord, I pray that we would be compassionate, that we would be loving, that we would be accepting and understanding, Father. And not judging. But at the same time, God, I pray that we would hold to the truth of your scripture, Father. That we would not compromise the word of God simply because of what's popular or unpopular in our culture, Father. As we've seen, it changes so quickly. And your word has been around for thousands of years. So, Lord, give us grace, give us wisdom, give us love, give us compassion as we try to navigate being a Christian, being a Bible believer in this day and age. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today, guys. You guys are dismissed. Again, if you would like prayer, please. Thank you for enjoying the message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for being part of our family, and we'll see you next time.